All right. Well, again, welcome. My name is Aaron. I'm so glad you guys are here, especially those of you who are here with us for the first time today. So excited that you've chosen to come and uh, worship with us this morning. If you have a Bible, if you'd grab that and turn to the book of Proverbs, we're doing a series on the book of Proverbs, and we're continuing that this Sunday. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you, so we would invite you to grab that and open it up. Um, Part of the thing about Proverbs, this is God's wisdom. This is a book of, of wisdom, but not just any wisdom. This is from God, the God who created the world, who sustains the world, who makes the whole world work. And so he knows what's best. He knows how the whole thing functions better than we do. So I really think it's important as we open this up that you be looking into the Bible with us so that you can see this is not human wisdom. Okay, this isn't my opinions or my, my thoughts or anything like that. This is what God has to say. So uh, if you have one of those Bibles, the hardback ones are on page 548, the book of Proverbs chapter 27. We're just going to read two verses this morning. Start with verse five. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The word of the Lord. So we come to this. In Proverbs, and we're looking at, okay, what does God say is wise? And as we approach this particular um, proverb, this particular bit of wisdom, and it's talking about rebuke, and it's talking about how we deal with friends, and specifically friends who are headed in a direction that we see as going against God's wisdom, This goes against, and this is part of why I say, like, we've got to be looking into the scripture together to see this, because this goes against, I believe, so much of what our culture tells us. Like, what we're going to look at today is like the exact opposite of what human wisdom says in this situation, okay? Because we live in this culture, and and in this world in general, that says, we all need to mind our own business. We need to, to stick to ourselves, You take care of yourself. I'll take care of myself. And if you see something in somebody else that you think maybe is not the way it should be, then you just need to keep your mouth shut and let them live their life. And you worry about you and I'll worry about me. And then Solomon comes in, in Proverbs 27, and he says like the exact opposite. He says that it's better to openly rebuke someone than to, in saying in love, keep silent that to keep silent is not actually love at all. But when we see someone, Solomon says, when we see someone whose life is headed in the wrong direction, they're, they're sinning. If you want to use the biblical term for it, they're making, you could say, unwise choices. However you want to phrase it, when we see that happening, what Solomon's telling us is that the loving response to that is to speak up and to speak into their lives. But I'm just going to be honest, as we start this off this morning, and I got to say this, I'm not good at this, okay? This is really, really hard stuff. So as we go through this, I want you to understand where I'm coming from on this. Sometimes, sometimes as a preacher, you get to get up and talk about some things that you like, feel like you've kind of understood in your life, and, and you get to speak from a place of like, hey, here's some experiences I've had. When I look at this, I feel like I'm speaking from a place of like, this is such a, a struggle for me personally. So uh, in one sense, it's almost like, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm talking to myself this morning, okay? Because this is hard, hard stuff. So please understand as I go through this, I'm not trying to be like, 
I'm not trying to be glib. I'm not trying to gloss over it. I know this is tough, and we're going to look at why that is. But this is difficult stuff, okay? Let me start um, with a little story. This is, um, this is a guy named Antoine Walker, okay? Um, Antoine Walker, you probably wouldn't have guessed, was a basketball player. Um, he played for several NBA teams from 1996 to 2008, Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, several others. Um, in his 12 years in the NBA, Antoine Walker, who was never like the highest paid player in the NBA, but he did manage to make $108 million playing for these different NBA teams. That's a pretty good amount of money. Um, he retired in 2008. In 2010, he filed for bankruptcy. $108 million gone. Now, how does that happen? And I'm not, please understand, I'm not picking on Antoine Walker, okay? He's, he's been very vocal and very public about what happened in his life and over the last five years trying to get things back in order and actually trying to help other people, other young athletes who are suddenly... And, and so many young athletes, this is their story. They, they're very young, they become professional athletes, and they get so much money, so much money. What are they going to do with it? And most of them do what I would probably do with it, which is spend it, right? And Antoine Walker says that he, had, um, he, he spent a lot of money on a lot of things, more than what he needed. But the other problem was this that he surrounded himself with people who encouraged him to spend his money. So it wasn't like he didn't have any advice, any financial, he had financial advisors, but all his financial advisors, their advice to him was, hey, invest in this company of mine, right? And so he was getting all this advice from people who really were just being self-serving, okay? And nobody was saying to him, um, maybe it's time to back off. Maybe two Bentleys is enough, okay? Maybe, maybe you should put some of that away for later. But instead, he's hearing all this financial advice of people saying, yeah, spend more, take us out. Let's go on that vacation altogether. Let's buy those extra houses. You know, let's do these things and spend and spend and spend. So many, again, I'm not picking on Antoine Walker. So many of us who, okay, I've never had $108 million. I probably won't make that in my lifetime. But I have had situations where I can look back now and say, boy, if someone had said something to me during that season of my life, when I was headed in that direction. So like Antoine Walker is looking and now he can look back and say, boy, if only someone had told me these things. If only somebody had sat down with me and said, yes, this $108 million is great now, but at some point you're not going to be making money anymore. And then what are you going to have? If somebody had sat down with me and talked to me about those things, and I look in my life and it's not necessarily financial, okay? In my life, a lot of it has more to do with relationships. But if there's so many things I can look back on, and I'll bet you can too, where if somebody... I tell myself this, if somebody had just told me, if only somebody had sat down and said, Aaron, look, look where you're headed. Do you see the direction you're going in? Do you see where this is going to end up? This is what Solomon's talking about this morning. That it's much more loving to step in when you see someone headed in the wrong direction 
It's much more loving to step in and to say, you are headed in the wrong path. That's much more loving than keeping your mouth closed and minding your own business. Now I say all that, and I could go, you know, for 45 minutes this morning, I'm just trying to convince you of why this would be helpful. This is a good thing to do when you see somebody headed in the wrong direction to help steer them back. And we could all sit here and go, yes, absolutely. That is right. Of course, I want to help people out. And what we're talking about is being helpful. But I could do that for 45 minutes and we could all sit here and say, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then we'd leave and we wouldn't change. Because there's something else going on in us, in our hearts, that prevents us from speaking the words. There's something that when it comes right down to it, and maybe it's partly our culture, but I think our culture saying that we should mind our own business actually comes from us. We're the ones who lead it in that direction. And so there's something within us that prevents us at every turn from speaking the words that other people need to hear. When it's tough, when it's a difficult conversation that we instead want to shrink back, we want to back down. Why is that? And so that's where I want to go this morning, and that's where I want to spend the majority of our time. What is that thing in us? And, and I'll just say it. What's that thing in me that keeps me from wanting to have hard conversations? I think the first place that my mind goes, so I'm just going to be honest. This is me, okay? This is where I, I fall on this most of the time, is I start thinking, what, what, what's the result going to be? And not what's the result like if I say this, then maybe they'll fix their lives and everything will be better. I'm thinking the result like, what if they don't like me anymore? What if they get mad? What if they don't take it well? What if they get defensive? What if it hurts our relationship? What if I hurt their feelings? All the negatives that could happen. What if they get mad at me and they start telling everybody what a jerk I am? And in my mind, that becomes so much bigger than any desire or any impulse to help someone else. So I'm thinking through this this week as as I'm preparing this sermon and I'm looking in my own life and I'm like thinking about stories that I could tell of times when I've had to, either I've had to speak into somebody's life or somebody's had to to rebuke me. And and one of the biggest and and the ones that pops into my head when I think about this topic um, actually revolved around this very idea. I had to be rebuked because I was not rebuking someone, okay? I, um, I was in this situation where there was this guy and, and he was doing some things that were, um, they, they were bad, they were sinful, um, it involved pride and a lot of things, but it was, it was threatening to damage our ministry, the ministry that I was involved in, and, and I needed to talk to him and I needed to confront him about what was going on, but I didn't want to. So I did what most of us do when we need to talk to someone. I went and talked about him with someone else, right? Um, So I went and talked to a guy who's kind of a mentor. And I was explaining the situation. Look, here's what's going on. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, you you need to talk to him. Yeah, but if I do that, then this is going to maybe this. And I'm not sure. And he's like, no, you need to talk to him. And I kept making excuses. And I kept going, yeah, but I don't know. And he said, look, look. Is he doing something that's harmful? And I said, yeah. And he said, how is it being loving to him 
to let this continue. And that got me. Because I was like, okay, it's not. And so what's the most loving thing to do? And I knew the most loving thing to do was to have the conversation. But I didn't want to. And I was like, but, and so then I, I threw out this one because this was kind of my go-to, I guess. I was like, but I'm afraid I'm going to hurt him. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt his feelings. And he told me this, and I'm not saying this to be harsh. This is what he said. I'm just quoting. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is hurt somebody's feelings. And I don't know why we've gotten it in our minds as Christians, but I have, and I've totally internalized this, but that hurting someone's feelings is like the ultimate sin against a person, and it's not. Sometimes we need to have our feelings hurt because ultimately it will be better for us. Now, here's the truth. And so this conversation went on. Why... He was asking me, why are you so reluctant to do this? And the more we talked about it and the more we dug, what we found out was it wasn't, and this is me, maybe this isn't you, so just, you know, ju- judge me. Um, it wasn't that I was so concerned about the other person. I was concerned about myself and his opinion of me. So this whole thing, and, and I think this is so true for so many of us, when we think about somebody who needs to have the truth spoken into their life and they're in sin or they're making really, really bad choices and they need somebody to help them get back on the right track. For so many of us, the problem has nothing to do with the other person. It's all about us and in our own hearts and that thought of what are they going to think of me? Now I've heard that there are some people in this world who don't care what other people think of them. That sounds amazing. Um, That's not me. Okay, And so I have to, if I'm going to get past this, and I'm going to do what's truly loving, I have to remember some truths. And so if you would turn with me to the book of Galatians, because this is so, so important. And this verse has become like, I, I, I try to remind myself of this verse like daily. Because within my heart, I know that so much I want people to like me. Read what Paul says in the book of Galatians. When he had to call out some people who were being sinful and were leading the church in a wrong direction, Paul says this, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? But that's a tough question to ask yourself, isn't it? In, in this situation and in these choices I'm making and in this conversation with this person, am I seeking the approval of God or of man? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, this is kind of harsh, but I have to have my feelings hurt sometimes. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Ouch. I mean, that's tough to me. Okay, because I want people to like me. And what Paul is saying here is it doesn't work to live my life trying to make sure everyone else likes me and to please God. The two will inevitably conflict. And I have to decide in my heart, which one am I going to try to please? Now that's, that's tough, okay? 
That's really, really hard. But when I dig deeper, and so again, this conversation I'm having with this mentor, and, and we start digging deeper, and he's like, okay, so what you're afraid of is that people will not like you anymore. Why does that matter? And here's the thing. It has nothing to do with those people. In my heart, I want to know that people like me because that's how I get value. When I know other people like me, then I feel better about myself. But what's the truth? And this is where our conversation went. And this is where I think we need to go if we're ever going to be able to rebuke our friends that our value doesn't come from other people's opinions of us. Our value comes from what Christ did for us. Okay? Let me say that again. When Jesus Christ died for you, to, to, to purchase forgiveness for your sins, and he reconciled your relationship with God, that is where we have to find our value. Because, and this is the thing, if you're, if you're living a life always trying to please other people, it's going to crush you. You can't do it. People's opinions shift. Okay? So what's pleasing to everyone one day will not be the same the next day. And you're constantly going to be going through this, this shuffle of trying to figure out what do I have to be today to please other people? And it's never enough because of the way God designed you. Other people's approval will never be enough to fulfill you because God designed you with a need for his approval, not human approval. And so you constantly are going to be going back and trying to get other people to like you and it's never going to work. And slowly, 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 it's just going to crush the life out of you. We have to find our value and our approval in Christ. Now again, I don't say that out of a sense of superiority. I have to remind myself of this every single day. Because the bent of my heart is to head towards other people. The bent of my heart is to try to find my value in people that I can see. Not in an invisible God. But it shifts and it changes and it's never secure. So, if we are going to obey what God's saying, we have to trust in him and trust him with the results of what happens. Okay, so a lot of us are results-oriented kind of people. Right? And so we think about the idea of speaking into someone's life because we see where they're headed and we see it's going to be harmful to them. And it's like, okay, I'll talk to them if I think it's going to make a difference. What Solomon's saying here is that we need to speak into people's lives not because we believe it's going to make a difference, but because it's the loving thing to do. Look again, verse number six faithful are the wounds of a friend. Okay, a, a, a good friend, a true friend, a faithful friend is willing to hurt another person if it's better for them in the long run. I don't know if you're familiar um, with Tony Dungy. Has anybody ever heard of Tony Dungy? 
Um, he's a football coach. He used to be. He's retired now, but he used to be the football coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Okay. Um, sorry, lots of sports metaphors today. I apologize for that. But um, Tony Dungy was the head football coach for the Indianapolis Colts for many years. His youngest son, he had a son named Jordan. Jordan Dungy was born with a congenital defect with his nervous system that made him unable to feel pain. Now, the first time I ever heard that, I thought, that sounds amazing. Could you imagine living a life with no pain whatsoever? Like you could do whatever you want. You'd never get hurt. That's awesome. But then you think about it a little bit. And this is where, when Tony Dungy was talking about this in in his biography, it was actually a very, very dangerous thing especially when they first found out when he was a toddler. Because just because he couldn't feel pain didn't mean he couldn't damage himself. Does that make sense? Okay, so pain is actually in some ways a good thing because it teaches us not to do dumb things. So whereas you and I, if we get close to like a hot stove, if we were to accidentally rest our hand on a hot stove, we would learn, I'm not going to do that anymore. And we would immediately take our hand away. But if Jordan Dungy does that, he would just leave his hand there because it doesn't hurt. Well, just because it doesn't hurt doesn't mean it's not doing damage to his hand. Are you with me on this? Sometimes pain is really necessary because it teaches us things. Sometimes in a relationship, pain is necessary because it's better in the long run. Most of us have tried to develop and have tried to live our lives in a way that we can avoid pain. And if I can just avoid pain, then everything's okay. But we're actually like Jordan Dungy and we're hurting ourselves or someone else is hurting themselves. But because we want to avoid pain, we're letting the damage go on and get worse. So Solomon says a true friend, a faithful friend doesn't let that happen. But I, th- I feel like there's a second objection. There's another voice that comes up in my head. Okay, it's more loving. I get it. Somebody needs to talk to them. But then what I hear myself saying is, but probably not me. Because I'm not perfect. I mean, who am I to go to this person and try to tell them how they should live their life? I mean, all they're going to do is look at me and say, yeah, but you've got this and this and this and this wrong with you. So why should I be the one who goes and talks to them? I mean, It's not necessarily just about them and their mess. I've got a big enough mess of my own. Why should I be the one who's trying to say something to them? Now, here's what I would say in response to that. First of all, that's true. I mean, that's totally true. You're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And if we have to wait for a perfect person to come in and speak into our lives, then all of us are just going to be sitting around and waiting because there are no perfect people. But I believe that actually the, the, the idea and the mindset and, and the attitude that I'm not perfect is probably the best place to start. To come in, not to, to, to rebuke someone with the attitude of, let me tell you, you're so messed up and I'm just going to give it to you. But to come in knowing I'm messed up too. And everything, listen, everything that's right in my life is only by the grace of God. Everything that's going well for me is not because of me. On my own, totally, completely, I mess everything 
everything up. We have to start from an attitude of what I would call a gospel humility. A gospel humility that says, in understanding the truth of the gospel, everything I have is a gift from God, and it's only by his grace that I even have a relationship with God. Everything I have comes from him. Therefore, I am no better than anyone else. And so if I'm talking to somebody who's doing harm to their marriage, my marriage isn't any better because of me. It's because of God's grace. If I'm talking to somebody who, who's going through a difficult time with their kids and I feel like they are making wrong choices or sinning as it regards their kids or maybe their parents, I have to recognize and I have to start from the position that my kids, my relationship with my kids or my relationship with my own parents, it's not because of me. It's because of God's grace. If I'm trying to speak into somebody's life about their finances, I'm not where I am financially because of my own intelligence by any means. It's solely by God's grace. They're lying. And the word profuse means they're piling it on, laying it on thick, being dishonest. So the key here in verse six is is there's a difference between truth and lies. And that's what a rebuke is all about. So there's two parts to a rebuke. And the first is that we need to expose the lie. When you rebuke someone, what you are doing is letting them see that they are believing a lie in their hearts. When we sin, when we go down the wrong path, when we make wrong choices, it's not just an issue of our behavior. It actually comes from our beliefs. And in our hearts, when we are sinning, we have decided that we're going to follow an untrue path to, to what we believe will be happiness, what we believe will be peace, what we believe will be the better life. And when you rebuke someone, the first thing you're doing is exposing that lie that they are believing that's leading them in that wrong direction. This doesn't happen, now listen, we've got to understand this. This doesn't happen just by talking to someone. It happens by having a conversation with someone. Does that make sense? If you're going to rebuke someone, you have to be willing to have a conversation not just make a point. Okay, sometimes I want to prepare my statement and drop in and say what I have to say and then be done with it. And that's not what we're talking about. To really rebuke someone, you have to be willing to get down and dig in and ask questions that will lead them to understand what's going on in their heart that's leading them in the wrong direction. So again, going back to my conversation with my mentor, I was, I was wanting to stop at like, well, I don't want to be mean. We had to ask some questions and dig deeper to find out why. Where is that coming from? What is that thing in my heart that's making me push back so hard? And when we got down to the bottom of it, what we found is that I was believing a lie. And the lie I was believing was that my value came from other people's opinion of me. And at the heart of all of our sin, at the heart of all of our disobedience towards God is some kind of a lie. Some belief that's leading us down that wrong path. A belief that that our lives will be better if, if we can just make ourselves happy enough. And the way I'm going to be happy is by, by partying harder and harder and harder. And that's what's leading us in the wrong direction. Or the belief that I've got to be successful 
And what will make me successful is to achieve what I want, however I want to do it. And that's what's leading me to, to lie and manipulate people. And it's pushing me farther and farther away from what's right. But I'm believing this lie that I have to be successful to achieve. And it's through conversations and asking questions that we dig deeper and deeper till we get to the heart of the lies that we're believing that tell us that God is not good enough to satisfy our deepest needs, the lies that we're believing that tell us that on our own we're smart enough to figure this out, the lies that we're believing that tell us that we have to find happiness our own way. But we can't stop there. We expose the lie, but if we stop there, then we haven't actually fixed anything. We have to go the next step, and that is to speak the truth. And this is why it has to be a conversation, because we have to uncover what the lie is before we can apply the truth of the gospel to that situation. So just like I had to be able to say, my value does not come from other people, and it doesn't come from other people because it comes from Christ, and it only comes from Christ because of his death on my behalf. If I can't speak that truth, then I'm, just, I'm still just hanging out there believing a lie. So what is the truth of the gospel? What is the truth of God's word that combats that lie? Now, again, this isn't easy, okay? And I'm not talking about like you have to be an expert and come in and just have all these Bible verses memorized and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is having a conversation with somebody where you apply the truth of the gospel into their life where you expose the lies that they're believing and then you speak the truth into those lies. Now, in order to do that, in order to do that, you yourself have to believe the gospel. You yourself have to believe that God's love, out of God's love for you, who are a sinner, who on your own could not save yourself. But out of his love for you, that he sent his son to die the death that you should have died, to pay the penalty that you should have paid, and then he rose again. And by believing in him, you can be reconciled to God. And that you have value in that, and that you can only find true satisfaction in that. And we have to constantly recenter ourselves on that truth in order to be able to speak truth into other people's lives. So as we go from here, let me ask you a couple of questions. A couple of things to just help us kind of wrap our minds around this. First of all, let me ask you, who do you love? Who do you love? Maybe that's a simple question, but think about it. Who are you willing to sacrifice for? What would you be willing to sacrifice for them? If you say you love somebody, but you're not willing to sacrifice for them, I I would question your love. But what are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice your reputation? Are you willing to sacrifice their feelings and your feelings? They might be mean. If you speak the truth into somebody's heart, they might... They might say not nice things to you. Are you willing to sacrifice that? Are you willing to sacrifice a little bit of comfort? 
to go through a little bit of pain yourself to try to do what's best for someone that you love. Let me ask you this. What about in your own heart? Flip this around. Is it possible that somebody has been trying to talk to you, trying to expose a lie in your own heart and you've been pushing back against it? I mean, maybe, think again, our culture says that we shouldn't do this, we should keep to ourselves. Maybe that's because of the way we respond, okay? Some of us are reluctant to speak truth into other people's lives because we know how we would respond if people tried to speak truth into our lives. Is there somebody who's been trying to to speak to you about a sin, about a direction you've been heading, and you've just been trying to give them the stiff arm, hold them off? Maybe it's even hurt your relationship. Maybe you've said unkind and hurtful things to them because they were trying to speak the truth. And in your heart, you've allowed yourself to become puffed up with pride. And your mind goes, where my mind goes, you get defensive well, but you're blah, 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 blah. Maybe you need to go to that person and apologize. Maybe you need to apply the truth in your own heart about something. What would it look like? Come on, think about this with me. What would it look like as a church? Okay, it's Trailhead. Trailhead Church. What would it look like for us as a church if we were a people marked by our willingness to be rebuked? What if we were so humble that when somebody came to us, it wasn't a battle, it wasn't a conflict, it was barely even a confrontation. What if we had a a, a desire an eagerness to hear the truth applied to our hearts. And then what if we as a people were willing and and marked by our willingness to speak the truth into other people's lives? So here's my last question. What is it that's preventing you? What's standing in the way? What's keeping you back? What's holding your tongue from speaking the truth into somebody else's life? into somebody else's situation. I mean, I, I've named a couple of objections. I, like I said, those are kind of my personal ones. Maybe there's something else going on in your heart. Maybe there's another lie that's, that's blocking your path. Maybe you've convinced yourself that, that it's just wrong to speak the truth. That it's better because of the way we are. We're independent people and that person just needs to figure it out on their own. That's a lie. Okay? God's making it clear. He wants us to speak into other people's lives. So as we go into this time of reflection, think about those questions. Think about that person or those people. And as hard as this is, think about those tough conversations that, that you don't want to have. Okay, let's be honest. You don't want nobody. If you're approaching the idea of rebuking someone with joy, I mean, if you're excited about this, there's probably an issue in your heart. Okay, this is tough stuff. But as we pray about this, those are the very places where God wants to work his grace in our hearts. Into those tough conversations. Not because, look, look, let's keep our goal clear. Not because our goal is to, to, it's not because our goal is to change necessarily just what those people are doing. Our goal in rebuking someone is to bring about repentance 
a change in their heart. And as we do, as we step into those conversations, we remind ourselves that we on our own cannot change another person's heart. You can't. I can't. I would love to. So many times I've wanted to change someone else's heart. I can't. And you can't. Only God can. So as we head into this time of reflection, maybe it's time for us to just pray, God, start working in that person's heart. Use me, work through me. Allow me to speak the words you want me to speak, but you, God, are the only one who can change their heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, I am humbled. I, I, I have no, who am I? God, to, to rebuke anyone, to point out sin in anyone's life. I know the sinfulness and the deceitfulness of my own heart. And, and God, I, again, just come to you and beg for your mercy. And I know because you've promised that you will give it and that you will give grace. And so God, out of a heart of obedience, I pray that all of us today will actively seek to speak the truth into the lives of those we love. Those whom we see going down the wrong path. And it would be so much easier for us to just stay silent. And you've called us to something more. And it's hard. And we need your grace and we need your Holy Spirit to give us the courage and the humility to speak the truth in love. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.